Well, those are the moments in worship that just make you want to say, woohoo! So, um, church, I hope you're doing well. Uh, if you've got a Bible, and I hope that you have that as well, Luke chapter 5 is where we will be this morning. Luke chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let me say, my name is Brian Alderman. I'm one of the pastors on staff uh, here at Liberty. It is my joy today to bring you uh, God's uh, challenge from his word, the word that we believe he has for you in store today. Uh, let me just say real quick, if you are new and you're uh, worshiping with us today, then you are our honored guest. We are so glad that you chose to worship with us today. Thank you uh, for allowing us to use your voice and hopefully singing praises to the creator, the God who is worthy of all worship. Uh, now, uh, and that goes, by the way, for those of you that are in the room, as well as those of you that are joining us online. Just welcome, and we are glad that you have tuned in with us today. Uh, if you are new, or if you have been around Liberty Baptist Church doing Sunday school in these hallways when, you know, back when Moses was parting the Red Sea, uh, then man, we have loaded down your chairs today with some gifts, right? Uh, lots of gifts. These are not just, um, you know, chewing gum wrappers that you can spit into and then fold it up and throw it away. These are not just uh, tissues for you to sneeze into or anything like that. We do mean for you to use these, but after I explain them to you, you're welcome to do whatever you want with them and it will be just fine. Uh, if you have those, go ahead and grab them and hold them up for me so that I can see that you have them. See the great joy here. There it is. I was about to say the great joy is that I'm missing the first one that I'm supposed to show you, but I found it. Here we are. Uh, if you've got the one that says e-groups up at the top, go ahead and pull that out. Let me talk to you for just a moment about e-groups. Uh, these are quick four-week, uh, like, you know, bursts, if you will, of one discipleship focus where you plug into a group for four weeks at a time and then you disband and we just kind of lock into one key topic that hopefully will help you walk closer to Jesus as a better disciple of him. Block one of our e-groups kicks off this Wednesday. And so, man, I want to challenge you to be in an e-group. This is actually, it's, it's part of our discipleship strategy for you to participate in e-groups. We say that we want you to do it at least twice a year. Now, friends, that is baseline, right? Like what I really hope you would do is like do it like your grandma would, right? If the doors are open, be here, okay? Uh, and that's what's going to have the greatest impact. But if you're busy and schedules are crazy, I understand, but at least twice a year we want you to go through one of these. Uh, man, there are some great groups being offered this go-around. I don't just say that because I get to lead one of them. Uh, the other leaders are more capable and competent than I am, and they're all going to be awesome. Check the hexagon, if you will, next to the one that you want to sign up for. Put your name and phone number down there at the bottom, uh, and then drop these in the black bowls on your way out. You can also sign up on the website, so if you're online, do that for us. Um, after you, uh, after, listen, if you're not interested in any of these, then that's okay. Uh, what I want you to do is just down where it says class here at the bottom, write serve, like I'm interested in serving, and we'll find a place for you to go as well, okay? So uh, do that for me, and can't wait to see you Wednesday night, five o'clock for dinner if you sign up, and then six o'clock for e-groups. Looking forward to that. Uh, now, moving along, the next card that you have, it should say chapter a day at the top. It's small, and it looks like this one. Uh, friends, here's the deal. We just, toward the middle to end of 2023, we really kind of caught this belief, if you will, that like God is up to something. I mean, here as a church in our midst, in many of individual lives that are here among us, but not just here, like in our city, you know, in our state, 
in our country even, and maybe even all around the world, like God is just breathing on things and bringing people from death to life and reviving, you know, churches that were headed in the wrong direction and those sorts of things. And, and, and we wanted to latch onto that. So that's why we put our stake in the ground and we said, you know, we want 2024 to be the year of immeasurably more at Liberty Baptist Church. We want to see God do a greater work here in our midst. Now, I hope that you've caught that excitement, that vision, that passion, and know that it will uh, come to bear more and more as the days go by. But here's the reality. Friend, in your life and by way of your life in our church, that will not happen if we treat our faith as business as usual. Does that make sense? Like if we want to see God do a greater work, the word says, draw near to the Lord, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So if we want to see God do a greater work, well, then it's time for us to clear our schedules, clear our space, and plug into the daily disciplines of spiritual habits that will help us draw near to the Lord. And so we thought, man, how cool would it be as a church if we read a chapter of the Bible every single day together? The same one. And so that's why we're challenging you to sign up for and participate in what's called chapter a day. Uh, now, the other card that, uh, that, that goes along with this kind of gives you the map of what scripture passage we're going to be. You need a magnifying glass or maybe a telescope if your vision's bad in order to see what it is for that day. Uh, but it will hold your hand and uh, walk us all along so we can stay in the same scripture together. Uh, we want you to use soap as you do this. Not the kind that Pert makes, uh, but the kind that helps you study God's word. We want you to read the scripture, make observations, generate an application point, and then pray that God will help you apply what his word said to you. It's going to be a super exciting time as we go through this together. And so again, what I want you to do, now listen, about 200 of you signed up for this last week. That is awesome. And we're super excited, but I know that means there is more of you in the room today that have not yet signed up. So grab this little card. You can scan the QR code down at the bottom. You can register. It's going to send you a survey after you register online. We need you to take that survey, okay? Uh, it's going to help us generate kind of a baseline of here's where we're at as a church, and then we'll repeat it throughout the year. Um, now, if you remember the rotary phone and you, you know, QR code is gibberish to you, then that's okay too. Just use the physical card, sign up on it, drop it in the black bowl as you leave today. We'll get you signed up online and we will send you the, uh, the survey so that you can take it. Um, let me point out something to you real quick. If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, then it is important, friends, for you to plug into all sorts of things. Like, yes, it is important that you arrange the priorities of your week and your life around being in worship on Sundays, not the other way around. Does that make sense? Like we do our life and if we're free on Sunday, we'll go to church. Don't do that. You want to draw near to God. This is where we are on Sundays and everything else can fill in after that. Okay. Um, it's important that you pray. It's important that you are in a group. It's important that you offer your gifts in service to the Lord. All these things are important, but one thing stands above them all, and that's being in God's word consistently. Okay. Let me share this with you. Lifeway did a study a number of years ago, and they found a, a stunning, really, difference between people who are in God's word three or less times per week 
and those who are in God's word engaging scripture four or more times a week. Does that make sense? So like one, two, three or less that side and then four, five, six, seven every single day of the week. That's awesome. This side. Okay, so, so let me just share with you some of these things that are true of people who read the Bible four times per week or more. If that's you, then you are 30% less likely to feel lonely. You are 32% less likely to have anger issues. You're 40% less likely to have bitterness in your relationships. You are 57% less likely to struggle with alcoholism. 68% less likely to view pornography. 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. And then here's where it just gets explosive. Four times a week versus three times a week. You are 200% more likely to share your faith. You are 230% more likely to disciple somebody else. Friends, in research, that kind of number doesn't happen. That's insane. And all it takes is the difference of one day in God's word. Now listen, I don't want you to just engage with it four times a week. I want you to engage with it all seven times a week. But the point is this. Reading God's word can change your life. (laughs) And it will. So get in God's word in 2024. Hope that you'll join us as we do that with chapter a day. Um, Okay, last thing before we get to our passage. Man, we say as a church that generosity is really important to us. It's one of our five core values, right? Generosity, not greed. It's also one of the ways that we mark out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. As uh, Christ followers, we are helpers who give generously. In church family, we ended 2023 with a series on generosity when, among others, I told you we're not doing this because you're not a generous church, but because you are a generous church and we want you to run forward in that. Well, let me just share with you and celebrate with you some of the incredible things that God did through you in December. Uh, You gave, above budget giving, you gave $33,877 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that goes straight to our missionaries overseas. That's amazing. Good job. Good job. But speaking of budget, you didn't neglect that. You blew that out of the water too. In December, you gave $346,825, which represents 142% of budget giving in December. Y'all, that is amazing. Thank you for that. And last, now y'all got to forgive me. I celebrate this stuff because I grew up in a church and I do not remember us hitting budget like ever. So if you're like me, uh, then this is amazing. Last year, we, uh, we set our eyes on and really said at the beginning, this is a, a faith budget for 2023. Like if we're going to hit this number, we've got to see God do some, some, some cool things in our midst. Well, you gave in the year of 2023 to the budget $2,954,421, I'm sorry, $954,421, which represents 101.36% of budget giving in the year. That's amazing. My hat is off to you. Thank you for that. And listen, more of it. Let's press on with generosity. Uh, may that be our banner in 2024. Okay. Now that I have wearied and exhausted you with the sound of my voice, uh, man, I hope you are ready to look at God's word with me. We're in a series 
walking through the six uh, measures or marks of discipleship. We've titled this series, More Like Jesus, because that's our prayer for you, is that as we kick off the year of 2024 through chapter a day, through the sermons that we preach, the groups that you're in, the serve uh, points that you take part in, we hope you will grow to be more like Jesus. All right. Last week, we kicked off that series with a sermon on what it means to be a child who knows God. Today, we're going to continue in that series by looking at what, uh, what it means to be a student who lives changed. We're going to do that from Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 4 through 11. This is a really sweet, really awesome story. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. Uh, we're going to start in verse 4. So let me give you just a little bit of context. Um, Jesus is new on the scene. He's an itinerant preacher, which means he travels around to different places and he preaches God's word. And already his reputation is blossoming. People are beginning to follow him. They're coming because they want to hear the word preached. And so one day, uh, you know, he comes to the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake in the northern part of Israel. And the crowd, the Bible says, is literally pressing into him. You get this image that they're kind of chasing him onto the beach, right? And he's back to the water. The crowd wants to hear the word of God. They're like, Jesus, teach us, preach to us, share the word. We want to listen to you. We want to hear what God has to say to his people. And this is the picture. Now, there's also four men, four uh, probably, you know, young boys, teenagers is most likely what most of them were. Um, and their names are Peter and Andrew, his brother, and then James and John, his brother, two sons of a man named Zebedee. And these boys are fishermen. They spend their life on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee, uh, fishing, you know, and trying to catch so that they can make a profit. They can pay their taxes, feed their families, do the things that, are, um, that they are responsible for as young men. And they've been out on the water all night long, and they didn't catch a single fish, not one. All night long as they were working and they pulled their boats to the shore. They're discouraged. They're down. They're defeated. And they're washing their nets. And then here comes Jesus onto the beach. Jesus wants to teach the crowd. The crowd wants to be taught. And so Jesus asks Peter, can I borrow your boat? And can you put it out in the water so that I can speak and my voice will be amplified over the sea and the crowd can hear what God said? Now Luke skips over the entire content of the sermon, which is Mind-boggling, and if I can be honest with you, it's a little aggravating. <laughs> I wish I knew what Jesus said here, but we don't. We pick up in verse 4. So if you're able to stand, whether you're joining us online or here in the room, let me invite you to stand and we'll read this together. It says, When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. And so they signaled over to their partners in the other boat to come and, and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. Verse 9, for he was... Uh, he and all those who were with him were amazed at, the, at the, uh, the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's fishing partners as well. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. In verse 11, then they brought the boats to land. They left everything and they followed after him. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we do just want to say thank you. Thank you that you are worthy of our praises. Thank you that by your blood we can be made right with you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your example. Thank you that those of us who are your brothers and sisters in the faith, all children of the Father, we have this opportunity to study your word and to live changed because of it. So help us to that end, Lord Jesus. Speak to your people today, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, you can have a seat. You can have a seat. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we live in um, like one of the most educated societies in all of human history. I mean, it would have been like absolutely unfathomable to the average human being, even just a few hundred years ago, that the vast majority of a population would receive an education all the way up to 12th grade. That's crazy. And, and here it's like, you know, free. I mean, not really like we pay for it through our taxes, but still it's the government, you know, pays for it and provides it for us. And it's compulsory. Like you have to go or else the government's going to send you letters. I mean, that would be mind-blowing to somebody who lived just a few hundred years ago that, that, that we have this great education. You know, more than that, uh, in 2020, almost 16 million people were enrolled in undergraduate studies in a university or college setting. 16 million. If you uh, counted up all the numbers of those who have a master's degree uh, here, then that number would be around 21 million people holding a master's degree. And beyond that, another 4.5 million people have doctoral degrees. So in the midst of all of this education and learning and knowledge that we have, how can it be that as a society, we seem more than ever to lack common sense, basic skills, and the ability to problem solve a basic issue in front of us? How can that be? Well, let me propose to you, church, today, that the problem with our society is the same as the problem in the church. We don't have an education issue. We have an application issue. We don't have an issue of lacking knowledge, but an issue of lacking wisdom that puts into practice in the right way the knowledge that we already have. See, here's the thing. It's not enough in life just to study. It's not. You can fill your brain with all sorts of information and it'll never make a difference if you don't let it. That's why at Liberty, we say it's also not enough to just be a student of Christ. If you want to follow Jesus, friend, you must be a student who lives changed. A student who takes the knowledge that they gain and puts it into practice on a daily basis. A student who, who, who presses in, yeah, to learn more, to be fascinated by the person of Jesus and learn everything we can about what he wrote to us in this book. But then to take it and live it out on a daily basis. That's what we need, and we need more of it. We say it this way, and if you've got sermon notes, then we've reproduced kind of this paragraph um, affirming what it means to be a student of Christ. You can follow along with me there means this, I am a student of Christ. I'm a learner, a disciple. I have decided to follow Jesus, and as I do, I watch and I learn from him. I learn who he is and who he wants me to be. 
I study his heart for redemption. Then watch this. I seek to imitate him and bear the same kind of fruit that he bore during his life on the earth. Knowing what matters most, I place a priority on my discipleship. This is because I'm a student of Christ. And every day I grow into this identity. So how can we learn to be students who live changed? Well, we're going to look at the example of these young men in this passage in Luke chapter 5. So number one on your sermon notes is this. Every good student studies the master. Every good student studies the master. You know, we know from other gospel accounts that uh, the four disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, already knew who Jesus was at this point. Before he called them to, uh, to be his immediate disciples, they knew who he was. They had heard of him. They had probably heard some of his teaching. Uh, they had been there for the beginning of his ministry. And, and really, they, they studied him. I mean, they again, they listened to his teaching, and they were fascinated by the way that he interpreted God's word. But they kept up with their normal life, you know, fishing and doing the things that they needed to provide, like I mentioned earlier. And you can kind of imagine the scene as we come upon them on the beach this morning that Jesus preaches at the Sea of Galilee. They're frustrated. I mean, wouldn't you be? Like, you know, think of it, think of it this way, maybe... Um, they, we say that they had spent the night fishing, but what is fishing when you don't catch any fish? I mean, like hunting is one thing, because you can hunt and never catch. So if you go hunting, you don't kill or catch anything, you still went hunting. But if you went fishing and you didn't catch anything, then what did you actually do? I mean, you really like, you went emptying, you know? And so we can imagine the frustration that these guys are feeling. More than that, like fishing can be fun as a hobby, when you don't catch anything, you walk away, you think, oh, well, just a bad morning on the lake. As a profession, it's a little different. You don't get paid by the hour, you get paid by the fish, which means if you didn't catch one, you don't make anything. And so you can see kind of their frustration and their exhaustion as they worked all night long. And then there comes this preacher who like, man, he can't even stand still because the crowd keeps pressing in on him and he's backing up back against the lake. He's running out of space that he can back up into the Sea of Galilee is behind him. Can you see the jealousy that might have arisen? Like, man, I wish we were as good at fishing as Jesus is at preaching. I wish that our fish could feed a crowd that, like Jesus is preaching, can draw one. And yet, these were good students and they studied the master. And so when Jesus came, and he needed a boat to get out on the water, these, these four young men were ready. They were ready to study Jesus because they knew that, hey, even after a long night of frustrating emptying, Jesus is still worth listening to. And we want to hear what he has to say. So here's the question to you. Do you study the master? Do you study Jesus? Do you look into his word and read stories about him this week in chapter a day? Did you read, you know, Matthew chapter 1 through chapter 6 and, and learn about the person of Jesus so that you could say, yes, I am studying the master. I'm looking at his word, looking at what he has to say. More than that, every good student, number two, studies the material. Every good student studies the material. Uh, we're told in the Gospel of Matthew, again, on chapter a day, you read it this week if you're following along with us. Um, we're told that uh, Jesus, after he was baptized, he came up out of the water and the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. 
And uh, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible puts it really eloquently and really simply all at the same time. It says, after this, he was hungry. You know, no kidding. And Satan tempts him. He says, if you are truly the son of God, turn these stones into bread so that you can take care of your hunger problem, Jesus. You know what Jesus responds. He quotes scripture at him. He, he hits back with the word of God. And he says, it is written in the Old Testament, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, this is what I don't want you to miss. Your material to study as a good student of Jesus is the word. It's the word of God. And it is important. It matters. Think about this with me. It is as no, it's more important that you deal with the spiritual hunger in your soul by studying the word than it is that you deal with your physical hunger by eating food. Now, in this life, you and I can't see it that way. It's hard because our bodies remind us when we're hungry. Any hangry people in the room, you know? Like maybe even now, you're wishing that I would hurry up. Friends, hear me. We've got to ask God to help us get hangry about our lack of the word in our lives. We've got to ask God to help us have that desire to read and study and never get enough of this book. That's the material that we have to study. More than that, um, and, and listen, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they did know the word. We're going to come to that in just a second. But in this moment, the material that they studied that came from the master is the words of Jesus that he spoke to them in this passage. And it's actually kind of funny because like Jesus, the preacher, the rabbi, the teacher, uh, intrudes directly into the business of a group of professional fishermen. You know? And the only thing that's wrong with the advice that Jesus gives is all of it. It's bad fishing advice by the world's standards. It just is. The night is over. The fish have gone and hidden as the sun came up. But in the middle of the morning, Jesus says, let's go back out and let's throw the nets down and try and fish again. Not only that, but he tells these professional fishermen to go out to the deep. Well, friend, I don't know if you realize this, but in the time of Jesus, they didn't fish with like rods and reels and lures and hooks like we do. They had a catch net that they threw over one side of the boat. And as the school of fish swam underneath the boat, they'd get trapped in the catch net. And then the fishermen would hoist the net up. And whatever was in the net, when they pulled it into the boat, that was their catch. So listen, it doesn't matter if you use deep water or shallow water. The fish are still going to swim wherever the fish swim. But Jesus says, go out to the deep. That's not usually where the fish ended up. But these disciples knew, and they studied the master. And not only that, they studied his words that they spoke to him. And so, contrary to the popular fishing wisdom of the day, they put it out in the deep. They threw their nets over the side. And you know what happens. A miracle takes place, and it fills both boats up to the degree that they sink. Having listened to Jesus' words and applied them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew got to see a miracle at the hands of Jesus. It's amazing. But here's what's crazy. Not only this material, like I said, Peter, ordinary average fisherman though he was, he knew the content of God's word. He knew the story of Abraham when he encountered the presence of the living God and he fell on his face and worshiped. 
He knew the stories of Ezekiel and Daniel who had visions of God. And when they stood before him, they crumpled in his presence and worshipped, fearing for their lives. He knew the story of Isaiah who once saw the Lord and he said, woe is me. That means I'm in trouble. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner in the presence of sinners. And my eyes have laid sight of a holy God. My life is over. Peter knew those stories. And when this miracle happened, his knowledge of this teacher, rabbi, master named Jesus changed. And it became knowledge that he was in the presence of God Almighty. He suddenly realized that the hands he had trained to fish had been fashioned by the man that was standing in front of him. He realized that from the hairs on his head to the blistered soles of his feet, he had been created, designed, and knit together in his mother's womb by the person who told him to go fishing. This was not just an average, ordinary human being. This was the God-man himself. And Peter crumpled in his presence. And standing in the midst of a holy God, he said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinner. You're God, and those two things do not mesh. It's interesting, the word that he uses uh, in in this part of the passage, uh, verse 8 is not the word that he used at the beginning of the passage in verse 5, right? He said master earlier, and that was just a title for like all sorts of administrative roles. Your boss, your superior, uh, an official, they could be called this word master. It just means lord or boss or master or teacher or something like that. The word that Peter uses in verse 8 is not master, but lord. Kurios in the Greek language is, is what this word is. And that's important. I tell you that because in the Bible that Peter was used to reading, the Old Testament had been translated into Greek. And whenever they came upon the name Yahweh, God's divine holy covenant name, they substituted it with kurios. So when Peter says Lord in this passage, that's the recognition that's happening. I'm in the presence of the divine covenant God of Israel. And I'm an ordinary, sinful human being. He had studied the material and he knew all these things. And he lived them out. Which is, again, going back to what we said earlier. The the problem is not that we don't know enough. The problem is that we don't apply it to our lives. And so, on your sermon notes, number three and number four are going to move in that direction. Number three is this. It's not enough for you to just study the master. No, every good student imitates the master. Every good student uh, imitates the master. See, the rest of the disciples' lives were spent studying and imitating Jesus. They'd have about three years with him as he carried out his public ministry before the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then his ascension when he was raised back up into heaven. About three years where they studied and learned everything that they could from him, and they imitated him all along the while. And then if you, um, if you go to the book of Acts in the New Testament, just after the Gospel of John, which is actually written by Luke as well, the same person who wrote this passage that we're reading today, Uh, you'll find the stories of these disciples imitating Jesus, right? Just like Jesus went fishing for human beings to catch them, to convert them, to be his followers, so then the disciples went and they caught others and made disciples out of them too. 
It's just like Jesus preached to crowds and taught them the way of salvation. The disciples also preached to crowds and taught them the way of salvation. Actually, you read in, in the book of Acts that at one time Peter preaches to a crowd the, the gospel of Jesus and, and 3,000 people are saved on that day. It's amazing. But understand that these disciples went past studying Jesus and they lived it out. They imitated him. More than that, there's one more thing that I have to, I have to highlight this and, and hang with me. Um, friends, you know that Jesus' existence did not begin in Bethlehem, right? This is the second person of the Trinity. He's existed from eternity to eternity, right? He is the eternal, all-powerful, mighty Son of God who prior to that manger scene in Bethlehem had spent all of his time in uninterrupted, constant access with the Father in heaven. He was used to the riches and the glory of heaven. He was used to being celebrated as the creator. He was used to being honored by all the hosts of heaven. He was used to having myriads of angels ready to serve and meet his every desire. He left all of that to put on skin and bone that could blister, bruise, break. To put on nerves that could feel nails drive through him. So that one day he could go fishing for you. So that he could go fishing for me. See, and this is, the, this is the thing that we've got to recognize. That the disciples at the end of our story, they left everything and followed after Jesus to learn how to be fishers of men. Fishers of women. So the question comes to you. Are you going fishing? It's amazing. I mean, think about this story, right? Jesus sets the whole moment up. He uses the, mirac uh, the miraculous catch of fish. But the whole time, he's not thinking about like, you know, I mean, this would have changed Peter's life. He's not thinking about this gigantic catch of fish. He's thinking about fishing for these four young boys that he's going to turn into disciple makers and world changers. That's what Jesus wants to see happen in your life too. Because that same command is offered to you. You and I also can imitate our master in this. We can leave everything. And we can follow Jesus to become fishers of people. We can leave a job. We can leave a house. We can leave a neighborhood. Some of us can leave a country. We can leave a, a, a life passion or something that we thought we were supposed to do with our lives in order to follow Jesus. We can leave behind convenience. Make ourselves uncomfortable. We can open the door and go across the street and talk to our neighbor about Jesus. We can leave behind a, a burden. We can leave behind an anxiety. We can leave behind some bitterness. We can leave behind some frustrations in a relationship. All of these things, Jesus left a lot more than you and I could ever leave. All of these things and more, we can leave and we can go fishing with him. And listen, it's not about how many fish you and I catch. It's about imitating the one who went fishing for us. So here's an application point for you. Go fish. <laughs> Find somebody in your life 
who does not have a relationship with Jesus, start befriending them, talking to them, getting to know them, asking questions about them so that one day you can share the gospel with them. Every good student imitates the master, and that's what you and I need to do with Jesus as well. But not just that. Every good student applies the material. There's four words or sayings or commands that Jesus kind of offers in this passage. The first two that he gives, you know, put out into deep water, let down your nets for a catch. You have to remember when you're studying this passage that that instruction did not make any sense. It went against everything that Peter, James, John, and Andrew had ever learned. So the question to you and I is that in order to apply the word of God to our lives, will we also follow Jesus when it doesn't make any sense? When his instruction is confusing, when his instruction defies logic or goes against what you were taught was the right thing, will you still follow him? Will I still follow him? And will we apply what he has told us to do? But the third and fourth sayings or commands that he gives in this passage, do not be afraid and from now on you're going to catch people. Man, these, these don't make any sense. Like, Number one, understand that Jesus is the only person who can tell you not to be afraid when you're in the presence of a holy God. I mean, again, put yourself in Peter's shoes there, right? You've just realized that sinful though you are, you are standing in the presence of almighty creator God. The one who can call things into being out of nothing with just the word of his mouth. The one who can hold a school, maybe a university, <laughs> of fish, a university of fresh water flippers right to the side of a lake until just the right moment when your net goes down and then he can make them all swim straight into it so that you catch the fish. In the presence of that God, brothers and sisters, you and I should very much be afraid. Only Jesus can speak this word to you. Do not be afraid. In other words, like we sang earlier, the veil that separated you and I from the presence of God is torn. The doors swing wide because of Jesus and by his blood. Do you understand that? Because of him and by his blood, you and I have a way to access the heavenly father. We don't have to be any afraid anymore. We can go before him with confidence, find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. But more than that, Jesus tells them, from now on, you're going to be catching people. And listen, a lot of the analogies and illustrations that Jesus uses, like, they just fly right past us, church, because we're so used to them. Like, fishing as an analogy for evangelism. Yeah, we've all heard it a hundred times. Put yourself in their shoes, though, and remember, like, what would it have been like to hear this for the first time? You want us to what? Like, fish for people? Like, with nets? Like we're going to throw nets and capture people alive and then we're going to sell them? You know, this does not sound like kingdom building work, Jesus. But that's exactly the mode that he would use to draw these men to himself, to draw hundreds more to himself, to draw thousands to himself, and one day to draw you to himself. That he would throw his net in the water somewhere around you and then he would lead you flapping through the water straight into the path of that net. And then somebody would grab the other side of that net and would pull you up into the boat, rescue you from an eternity separated from God. That's what he did for you. 
It's what he's asking you to do for other people. So the question here is, when the path ahead of you is not clear, and it makes about as much sense as fishing for human beings, will you still follow Jesus? Every good student studies the master. They study the material. But then they put it into practice, and every good student imitates the master, and they apply the material, the words that he has spoken. As we conclude, I think some questions are in order. Back at the beginning, I read off a paragraph that affirms what it means to be a student who lives changed. And so I think a great way to look at that and figure out how you're doing is just to run back through it, but ask them as questions instead. Friends, are you a student of Christ? Are you learning from him? Are you his disciple? Have you taken that step of placing your trust and faith in him and surrendering your life to him? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Do you watch him? Do you learn from him? Do you learn who he is and who he wants you to be? Do you study his heartbeat for redemption? It's written down for you in here. Do you study it? Do you seek to imitate him? And bear the same kind of fruit that he bore during his life on the earth. Since you know what matters most, friends, do you place a priority on your discipleship? Is it the most important thing to you to become like Jesus? Is his honor, his glory, his praise the one thing that drives everything in your life? If it's not, it needs to be. This is what you and I were created to do to follow Jesus, to honor and glorify him with all of our lives. There's some live it out points that are on your sermon notes as well. You'll talk about those with your life group today if you've not already. And I hope that you will have great conversations and press into each other, friends, asking yourself the question, am I a student of Jesus in the way that he wants me to be? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us and for your sacrifice for offering, giving your only son who died on the cross a horrible and agonizing death in our place. The death that we should have died because our sin separated us from you. You took that on yourself, substituted yourself for us, and then you were raised to life to demonstrate that you are indeed, Lord Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. And so I pray, Lord, that as we go on this journey of discipleship as a church, that we would not just be children who know you, the Father, but that we would also be students who live changed, that we would study your word and apply it to our lives, that we would study who you are and imitate after you. Jesus, I pray that in this time, you'll lead us to respond in whatever way we need to. I pray that you'll speak to your people and that you will be glorified as we make much of you. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.